All right, as Pastor Bruce said, he's continuing his uh, series called Unstoppable, and uh, this morning we are going to read Acts chapter 3, verses all of them. So as you stand, get yourself comfortable. You can find it in the Pew Bible, page 628, as we read Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away from every one from your, from your iniquities. Let's pray. God, this morning we just thank you. God, we ask that as your word is spoken to us, Lord, you would just reveal to us, God, how powerful it is that you've sent your Son, Lord, that we as a church can proclaim his message, his gospel, and Lord, that you can transform lives through what he has to offer. In Christ's name, amen.
Thank you, Kirk, for leading us through our scripture reading through all those verses in Acts chapter 3. Appreciate it. How many enjoy watching a good movie? How many have seen any good movies in the last month? Oh, only a few hands. I, I love to go see, watch a good movie. Uh, my boys and I, a lot of times, on, uh, when they don't have school on Mondays, we'll go to uh, the Berry Road 24 and uh, Berry Woods 24, or whatever it's called, and uh, see a movie. Five bucks if you go in the afternoon or the morning. Cheap. I like that. And, uh, and watch a good movie. And uh, in fact, it was interesting. We were on vacation this last week, and uh, my mom and dad joined us for a few days out in Colorado. And my dad referred to going to the movies, to the theater. He called it the movie house. And Jack was like, what? what's that? What's a movie house? And my dad had to explain to my son Jack what a movie house is. We call it a theater. But nothing like a good, watching a good movie. But have you ever noticed that actors have a way of getting typecast in movies? You kind of know what to expect when you see them in a movie role. For example, some actors are known as action heroes like Liam Neeson or, or Dwayne Johnson, you know, he's known as The Rock. Some are always buffoons. In fact, there's one coming out right now. Will Ferrell has a movie coming out. He's known as a buffoon. Adam Sandler, known as a buffoon. Some are wisecracking sidekicks like Kevin James. Uh, you know, another typecast. Vin Diesel is never going to be this articulate, witty, romantic type. He's never going to play that role. Hugh Grant is never going to play a man's man role. And Nicolas Cage is never going to be anything but, well, awesome. Love Nicolas Cage. Unfortunately, the church has been typecast as irrelevant in our day and age. Some people think the church should be addressing the, the concerns and the issues of our society today. Things like poverty and global hunger and injustice, inequality, the environment, whatever else comes to mind that people talk about at the job site or between friends and neighbors. They, and I think this is where kind of U2's Bono is at. He's waiting and, and even wanting to see the church do something significant in the world. And, and for Bono, it used to be the AIDS crisis in Africa. In the interview, Bono passionately says, and I quote, if the church doesn't respond to this, the church will be made irrelevant. He goes on to describe the American church as a load of sissies running around with their bless me clubs while millions of children and millions of lives are being lost to greed to bureaucracy and to the church that's been asleep now i'll admit his his desire is a noble desire and his charge is not without an element of truth to it we do have people wondering if the church is really relevant today if the church has anything to offer to the world today. Most people turn to other places than the church for answers, uh, for solutions. Some people turn to the government. Some people turn to education. Some people even turn to social media. But what I want us to know is that from the book of Acts here, the church is not irrelevant what we see in Acts is a church on mission. What we see is a, a church uh, comp comprised of a community of Christ followers who are 
passionately turning the world upside down in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a church that is able to engage the culture that it lives in in that day and age with a relevant message that speaks to people's greatest problems and greatest needs. It's a church that's very relevant. So my question for us this morning is simply this. Do, does the church, do we as the church, do we have anything to offer to the world today? I would propose to all of us here this morning that that answer is yes. And the reason is, because of Jesus Christ, we have something essential and eternal to offer to the world. Because of Jesus Christ, folks, listen, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ to offer to the world. Acts chapter 2, verse 43 notes that many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And that's just what we see here in Acts chapter 3. We see the church beginning to move out into the world, beginning to engage its culture with healing power in order to proclaim the healing power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is the very first miracle that we come to in the book of Acts, right here in Acts 3. And it involves two apostles, Peter and John, healing a lame man, a crippled. Miracles like this appear frequently throughout the book of Acts. In fact, you'll find some 14 miracles in 12 of the 28 chapters. Now, miracles here in the book of Acts and even continuing a little bit into the New Testament here, miracles were simply God's validation of the apostles as the early church was being established. In other words, miracles was God's way of saying, this is really me at work through these apostles here. I'm validating them, so pay attention to them. Pay attention to what I'm doing right now at this time frame. But more than that, physical healings were signs that pointed to Jesus Christ and people's greater need of spiritual healing found in the gospel. And so what I want us to do this morning is to look at what the church has to offer. Listen, we have something essential and eternal to offer to the world today. And so I want us to see what the church has to offer through the example here of Peter's miracle and his message here in Acts chapter 3. And I pray, my hope and prayer is that all of us will leave here this morning convinced that what the church has to offer in the gospel of Jesus Christ is essential. It's eternal. And that's what makes the church relevant to our society today. Number one, look at this with me, what the church has to offer. Peter said to the lame man, what I have I give you. Peter says to this lame man, what I have I give you. And verse one gives us a setting. Notice what it says again. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now we have no indication how much time has elapsed since the day of Pentecost that we looked at in Acts chapter 2. What we do know is that at three in the afternoon, Peter and John joined many hundreds of people who were gathering in the outer sections of the temple for prayer. Verse 2 completes the setting. Look at it. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms 
from those who entered the temple. As Peter and John are making their way through the temple, they pass by a beggar, a lame man, who has been crippled from birth and who had staked out his, this particular gate as his usual post for asking for alms. In other words, he's begging for money. Luke tells us that his situation was so bad that he had to be carried by his friends and his family to the temple every day. In fact, if you go on and read further in Acts chapter 4 and verse 22, we're told that this lame man was now over 40 years old, which means that he had been carried to and from the temple for a very, very long time. Now, it's interesting to note the location of this beggar, this crippled man. The temple gate called Beautiful, Luke tells us. This gate was huge. Mammoth gate where he begs for money. In fact, it was 70 feet, 75 feet high with huge double doors that took some 20 men to close it. This gate was also overlaid with Corinthian bronze. It was truly a work of art. And this is where he goes every day to beg for alms. Now, this is the backdrop of this miracle, but it's also the contrast of it. For at this stunning gate called Beautiful lies a very unbeautiful cripple who had never walked beyond this gate closer to the presence of God. He has always been on the outside while others walked through it, walked in. And even though this cripple in that day and age was a, a social outcast because of his deformity, he picked the perfect place to beg for money. Well, why is that? Well, because people were on their way to the temple to not only pray, but to offer their offerings, to give of their tithes and offerings, which meant they had some money in their pockets. Remember, back then, they didn't have Social Security. There was no government help of any kind. People like this lame man were simply dependent on the generosity of worshipers that were passing through the temple that day. And so it's somewhat easy even now for us to imagine this lame man, perhaps with a piece of clothing stretched out before him, or, or maybe with some type of bowl or, or jar, maybe with a few coins in it. And as he sits down by this gate, he begins to shout out, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. It was a pitiful existence with little relief. But this day, oh, this day was going to be quite different. Passing by him were two of the apostles named Peter and John. And instead of just shaking their heads and looking the other way and passing right on by to make their 3 o'clock prayer appointment, notice what Peter and John do here in verse 4. Look at it. It says, And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said to him, Look at us. In other words, they stopped. Peter and John stopped and looked the meek, helpless beggar right in the eyes. When you see a homeless person at the stoplight or an intersection, and you're in your car and you drive up to him, and you're not ten cars back, oh, you're right next to him. Where do you look? Do you look at him or do you look away? You pretend something else has grabbed your attention, or you grab your phone. Oh, what text do I have? Most people look away because there's something potentially uncomfortable about looking someone in the eyes. And in the case of Peter and John here, when they looked this lame man in the eyes, it expressed compassion. It granted him dignity. 
It communicated that they weren't scared or horrified by the condition that he was in. In fact, when they looked him in the eyes, it acknowledged the lame man's humanity. He was created in the image of God. Therefore, he had value. And what does this lame man do? It says in verse 5, look at it. So he gave them, that is Peter and John, his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And what do you think he's expecting to receive from Peter and John? Oh, no doubt, man. This guy is expecting to get some money. But instead, oh, he gets something far, far better. He gets something he didn't expect at all. In other words, he's hoping... He's hoping and praying he will be supported in the current condition that he's in. But God has other plans. God wants to completely change the condition that he's in, which is a great reminder that our God, our almighty God, is able to do so much more than we could ever ask or even think or imagine. Now just let that sink in for a minute, because some of us here, we need to be reminded of that. That our God is able to do more than we ever imagine or ask or can even dream about. That's the kind of God we have. Put yourself in this man's shoes. Put yourself on his mat on the floor for a moment. He thinks today is going to be a good day. Because these two guys have stopped to give me what I want. Some money. But then came those immortal words of Peter in verse 6. Silver and gold I do not have. And maybe for a split second, this lame man thinks, oh man, these guys don't care about me. They're just teasing me. They stopped and looked at me. But they don't really care about me. You won't support me. Look at the mess I am. You're not giving me any money. But then Peter tells him something better in verse 6. He goes on and says, But what I have, I do give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what happened next was nothing short of a divine miracle. Luke describes it in vivid detail in verses 7 and 8. He says, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately... His feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Wow! What a miracle! For the first time in this man's life, he's literally, get this, he's jumping for joy. He's never walked in his life, he's never jumped in his life, and now all of a sudden, he's jumping for joy, and he's praising God in the house of God. What an amazing miracle. It was a beautiful scene indeed. It was incredible. And as we think about this miracle, I want to highlight just a couple of significant things going on here in this miracle that have relevance for us today. Peter said to the man, silver and gold I do not have. Which means, notice this in your notes, the lame man did not get what he wanted. The lame man did not get what he wanted or expected. He got something far better in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter and John knew this man, as dire as his situation was, 
He was not beyond the hope of Jesus Christ. You see, they knew that Jesus had come not for the healthy, but for the sick. They knew, according to Luke 4, 18, that Jesus had come to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to and recovery of sight for the blind, and to release those who are oppressed. In other words, they knew that because of Jesus Christ, they had something essential to give. They had something eternal to offer this desperate man. And while Peter and John, listen, while they certainly cared about this man's condition, their greater concern was to see his life transformed with the power of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the tension between what people want and what people need. Notice this in your notes. The tension here between the two. Between what people want and what people need. You see, oftentimes in ignorance, people want what they think they want. But in reality, they need something far better. Something only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me explain this for a moment. I use the word ignorance here, and please understand I use it not in a derogatory way, but in a way that simply describes the awareness, or should I say lack of awareness, of people's greatest need in life. In fact, ignorance, you may have caught it, is the very word that Peter uses to describe those who crucified Jesus Christ. Look what Peter says of them in verses 14 and 15. He says, but you denied the Holy One, speaking of Jesus and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life. What an indictment Peter lays on them. In other words, Peter is saying to this crowd now who has gathered together in the outer court of the temple, in amazement they've seen this miracle, and believe me, their curiosity is, is on red alert. And they have come running. And now Peter addresses them. He speaks to them. And he basically says to them, in calling for Barabbas, you traded the author of life, the prince of life, for a murderer of life. You asked for the taker of life to be released on the world instead of the giver of life. And Peter goes on, he says in verse 17, and yet now, people, crowd, onlookers, and yet now I know that you did it in, and what's the word he uses? Ignorance. You see, in ignorance, at the trial, they were yelling, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And in ignorance, this lame man now only asked for a few coins to simply survive another day when, listen to me, when God had already provided him the riches of heaven in his son Jesus Christ. I like how C.S. Lewis, that great author, puts it. In other words, this lame man was like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, as C.S. Lewis describes. God has promised him so much more, and he's asking for so little. 
And so what we have here in this story, in this miracle, what we have is a picture. We have a clash of expectations here. This layman, what did he want? He wants money. But Peter wants to change his life. This layman expects to return to the temple the next day in his same condition as a cripple, as a beggar. But Peter wants to give him a new occupation of jumping for joy and praising God. As a Christ follower, listen to me, you have what so many people like this man need. And like this lame man, so many people think that the answer to their life, that the solution to their life is more money, a better job, a certain relationship, that this goes right, that I get this, that I do that, that all this comes together and works out for me, that I get accepted to this college, that this job opening comes and I get this promotion, and we think if we just have that, if I could do that, then life will be better for me. And that's the way most of the world operates. But in truth is what they need is something far, far better. What the world needs, what we need, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the same time, though, let me just pause to say we need to be careful here as well. Because this story about this miracle, this text isn't about not giving to meet people's material needs or their physical needs. It's not about only meeting people's spiritual needs. Listen, this story here in Acts chapter 3, it is all about Peter giving this man everything he has, Jesus Christ. And in giving him Jesus, this lame man, was not only raised up physically, he was raised up spiritually. And so Peter says to the lame man, what I have, I give you, and I give you everything that I have, and that is Jesus. And so what then can we say to a lost world today? Do we have anything to offer to the world today like Peter did? And my answer is absolutely yes. Notice this. The church says to the lost world, what we have, we give you. That is what we proclaim. That is what we say to the lost world. What we have, we give you. And what do we have, folks? Listen, absolutely, we have something, if you haven't known, heard it, listen to me, we have something essential, we have something eternal, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever be ashamed of it. Don't minimize its power. Don't reduce its significance. Listen, the gospel is the power of God to miraculously and radically change people's lives. Do you believe that? That's part of the problem with the church in America today. We don't really believe that. But I love what Paul says. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he declares... For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now, as you can imagine, 
as we already made mention, this miracle caused quite a stir among the crowd that day in the temple. In fact, look what Luke writes in verses 9 through 11. He says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. Man, can you imagine seeing that? Can you just imagine for a moment being there and seeing that? Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what God, at what happened to him. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And how does Peter respond to this? Well, in Acts 3.12 it says, So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. And that brings us to his message. We have the miracle, and now we come to Peter's message that explains the miracle. And this is awesome. Oh, this is so awesome. For Peter, get this, for Peter, this miracle of healing this lame man, it opened up an opportunity. It opened up an avenue to proclaim the gospel to the whole crowd, which is the answer to everyone's greatest need. Folks, listen, this is the same reason. It's the same reason we sponsor an Easter extravaganza here in two weeks at Crestview Elementary School. If you're wondering, why do we do that? Why do we spend a lot of money? Because it costs money to do that. We spend a lot of time. We invest resources to host an Easter extravaganza down at Crestview Elementary School. And we do it for the same reason that Peter explains here in Acts chapter 3. We do it to pray to God to give us an opportunity, an avenue to connect with people, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. To invite them, hey, Easter is tomorrow. Come and worship with us. And hear the gospel being proclaimed of our risen Savior. Why? Because the gospel is relevant. The gospel is the answer to everyone's greatest need in life. Peter understood what we need to understand. Peter understood that the physical elements of some point to the heart condition of all. Yes, some people are born physically blind. But Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are all born spiritually blind. And as bad as suffering is, folks, listen to me, there is something far, far worse. And that is being crippled by our own sin. And as great as physical healing is, there is something far, far greater, and that is being restored in our souls. Listen, we need something more than physical healing. We need something more than money. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need what Jesus brings to our lives, and that is salvation, eternal life. Oh, in fact... I would propose to us here this morning that physical healing without soul healing is worthless. It's even potentially harmful. Satan is willing to alleviate your momentary suffering in exchange for your eternal suffering. So because of Jesus 
and only because of Jesus, we can say to the world what Peter said to the lame man, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have, that is salvation in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin, peace with God, and inheritance of riches that can never be taken away. That, that I give to you. That I offer to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that not the greatest gift of all? Listen, whatever pain that you're suffering, whatever emotional despair that you're going through, whatever addiction you're enslaved to, listen, it all stems from our greatest need. And that is salvation in Jesus Christ. And so, look what we have to offer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we as a church here at Glenwood, this is what we offer to the world. And hopefully it's something that you offer to your friends to your neighbors, to your family members. This is what we offer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look at it. We offer the promise of total forgiveness in the gospel. Whoa! Right? Should we not be excited about that? You act like you haven't experienced it. Have you experienced forgiveness of your sin? Then we ought to be excited about that. Think about that for a moment. We offer to people the promise of total forgiveness in the gospel. And it's always interesting to note how the gospel is communicated. It's interesting how people explain the gospel and offer the gospel and describe what the gospel is. It's interesting here, Peter makes a beeline to the cross of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he does not back away from sin. There's no holding back from implicating them in the guilt of killing Jesus. Peter says in verse 13, look at this with me. Notice in verse 13, he's talking to the crowds now, the Jewish crowd that day. And he says, you handed him, that is Jesus, over to be killed. And then he says to them, you denied him in the presence of Pilate. Verse 14, he says, you asked for a murderer to be granted to you instead. And in verse 15, he says, you killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead. And yes, Peter said they did all this in ignorance. But folks, listen to me. Listen. Ignorance does not mean innocence. Ignorance does not mean innocence. The Jews in that day were willfully ignorant. That is, they had opportunity to understand who they were crucifying. Just as we today, we are willfully ignorant of God, although He has made Himself known to us through many avenues and many ways. If you're wondering where I get that, just read Romans chapter 1. Paul tells us in Romans 1 that God has made Himself known, but we suppress that truth. We are willfully ignorant of that truth. So no matter how ignorant we may be of our sins, listen, we are not innocent of our sins. We all stand guilty of killing Jesus. It was our sins that He died for on the cross. But the good news is, listen to this, the good news is, because of Jesus' death, 
we have the promise of total forgiveness of those sins. Peter states in Acts 3, verse 19, he says, Repent therefore and be converted. Why? So that your sins may be, and I love the word he uses, so that your sins may be blotted out. Blotted out means wiped out or washed away. In other words, the stain of sin is removed. It's kind of like you get a stain on your shirt. You go eat Mexican food and salsa spills right here. And you're like, oh man, I got salsa right here. And you look at your wife and you're like, can you get this out for me? She says, I don't know, we'll see. So you go home, you rip off your shirt, and what does she do? Man, pss, 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 shout. And you soak it and shout. You put it in the wash. And that salsa stain is blotted out. It is removed. It is no more. And that is the idea here that Peter uses with our sins. Aren't those wonderful words? Your sins will be wiped out. That's what is promised in the gospel, folks. Total forgiveness of our sins. Past, present, and future. Woo! Listen, this is the world's greatest need. What we offer in the gospel applies to every person, no matter the culture, no matter the age, no matter the social status, the education level, the background, no matter what ethnicity you may be. The gospel message is not irrelevant, folks. It's irreplaceable. We have a message that's essential and eternal. And that message is you can be reconciled to God Almighty. You can be forgiven of all your sins. Every problem in this world ultimately stems back to human sin. Every problem. And that sin was dealt with in Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the gospel that we have to offer to the world. That's why we are relevant when we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Second, we not only offer the promise of total forgiveness, we offer the promise of spiritual refreshment in the gospel. Peter continues in verse 19, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And this word for refreshing, oh, it's a beautiful word. It refers to a cooling like a cool breeze blowing on a warm, human evening, or like a cold glass of iced tea on a hot summer day in July. Listen, in life, there's no doubt about it, because of sin in this world, in life, in your life, in my life, we can grow weary and exhausted, and it can seem like there is just no end in sight. And that's when we need what Peter calls times of refreshing. But true refreshing, listen, it doesn't come from a cool breeze. And it doesn't come from a cold drink. It comes from the Lord Himself. Jesus came to bring us soul-satisfying refreshment. You go back to the Gospel of John, you may remember the story when Jesus told the woman at the well who was caught in her sin that he had living waters and that if she drank these waters, she would never thirst again. That's what we have to offer in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of refreshment we have to offer. Number three, we offer the promise of universal restoration in the Gospel. 
the promise of universal restoration. Since the dawn of time, humans have always wondered, mankind has always wondered, does a perfect world exist? Is utopia out there? Since the dawn of time, humans have been searching for a utopia. If you don't believe me, all you got to do is go back to last fall when Fox TV gave 15 Americans the chance, get this, 15 Americans Fox TV gave the chance to leave their everyday lives, move to an isolated, undeveloped location for an entire year with the challenge to create their own utopia civilization from scratch. But after only six weeks, the utopian dreams failed when Fox canceled the reality TV series. Listen, you and I, mankind, will never be able to create a perfect world. It is beyond our capability. The promise of a perfect world is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus will return from his current reign in heaven to recreate the heavens and the earth and reign over a perfected world, a new earth and a new heavens, what Peter calls in verse 21, the restoration of all things. And folks, we look forward to that day, don't we? Peter says that the, this healing of the layman is simply a sign of this coming restoration of all things that God has promised. In fact, the Jews here would have recognized the healing of the layman as the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah back in Isaiah 35, 6, when it says, Then shall the layman leap like a deer. In fact, you read Isaiah, and it is mostly a book of prophecy about this right here, the future restoration of a new heavens and a new earth when everything will be made right. Oh, we can't look... Wait for that day to come. This is the kind of universal restoration Jesus is going to bring in the future. The miracles of Jesus and the apostles simply show us that God is no happier with the world in its current condition than we are. Listen, God, God did not create the world with pain and suffering, disease and death. Do you realize all that came through the corruption of sin? Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Sin indicates a world that's out of joint. And these miracles point us to a world as God created it to be and as He wants it to be again someday in the future. And so we wait with hope for a future age, listen to me, when all things, all wrongs will be made right and the effects of sin will be abolished forever. Get this, no more cancer, no more disease, no more poverty, no more suffering, no more violence, no more death, no more evils. That's the day we are hoping for, we look forward to. Yes, we live in a sin-sick world, but we have a message of hope to offer to a sin world. We offer them the promise of total forgiveness. We offer the promise of spiritual refreshment. We offer the promise of a universal restoration that we look forward to one day. 
So how do we receive then these promises in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Peter is very clear on that. We must repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Thomas Watson, some of you may not be familiar with that name. Thomas Watson was a Puritan back in the 1600s. And Thomas Watson made a statement. Listen to what he says. Faith and repentance are like the two wings of a bird whereby we fly into heaven. Peter insisted on both. Directing the crowd to the faith of the lame man, specifically faith in Jesus' name in verse 16. And then he urged the crowd to repent and to be converted or to turn again to God in verse 19. In other words, Peter is saying to the crowd, he's saying to us even today, you've been wrong about Jesus. You've written Him off in your life. But Jesus died and He rose again to rescue you and save you. And without Him, you are lost and without hope. So repent of your sins, Peter says. And believe in Jesus Christ. Listen to God's message through Peter in verses 25-26. through Look at it here. He says, And in Abraham's seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, speaking to the Jews, God, having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities or your wickedness, your sinfulness. What a blessing Peter is telling us about that's found in the gospel. And so let me ask you this morning as we kind of wrap this up. Let me ask you the same thing, the same question that Peter asked the crowd that day in the temple. Have you listened to Jesus? Are you listening to Jesus? Are you listening to what He offers you? Peter states in verse 23, And it shall come to pass that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the peoples. Listen, God declared Jesus to be the Lord and the only way of salvation. And the question this morning is, are you listening to Him? Are you listening with an open heart and open mind? Are you willing to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ? To not hear, and I'm not talking about our ears, I'm talking about our hearts. To not hear, to turn a deaf ear to Jesus, Paul, Peter says, is to be utterly destroyed when Jesus returns as judge of all the earth. But the promise of the gospel is that when we repent and believe in Jesus, He will forgive us of our sins. He will give us His refreshing water. And one day He is coming back to restore all things and bring us into His kingdom forever and ever. And so I end with this question, does the church have anything to offer to the world? Absolutely, yes! Folks, listen, we have something essential and eternal to offer. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the gospel, we have the power to tackle problems and free people from the bondage of sin. We have a message of forgiveness of sin and release from guilt and peace with God to proclaim to the world. And we have a hope to give to an otherwise 
hopeless and bleak world that one day everything will be restored. And so as I close, I ask you to think about how you, how we view the church today. And specifically, how we view what we think about even our church here at Glenwood. Will we be a church like the church we see in Acts that believes in the power of God and is unashamed to offer it to the world? Do you believe that the gospel message speaks to the world today? That it makes sense of reality and it provides hope in Jesus Christ? In other words, do you really believe with conviction that we have something to offer, something that's essential and eternal in the gospel? And if yes, then are you willing to offer it to the lost world we come in contact with? If so, then how can we not? How can we not invite someone to join us Easter Sunday. If we really believe this, then how can we not share the gospel with friends and neighbors and co-workers? If we really believe this. Listen, the gospel is the most relevant thing in the world. And if your life has been radically changed by it, then we ought to be willing to share it with somebody else. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, Lord, help us not to be a church having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Instead, help us to know the hope to which you have called us and the incomparable power we have in you. We also pray for anyone here who is not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, one who has not received the gospel. Lord, grant them repentance and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ that they may know the blessings of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As the praise team sings, they're going to sing one chorus, and here's, here's why I'm asking you to respond. Give thanks for the gospel that's changed your life. Just praise God. Give thanks for it. And if you have yet to experience the gospel, then repent of your sin right where you're sitting. Cry out to God and Express your heart's desire to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ.